This is Andre Cohen, and welcome to another episode of Speaking of Diversity and Inclusion. Just as a reminder, this is our uh, our premiere or our launching uh, first season. So please tell us, communicate with us, tell us what you like, what you didn't like, um, the, the, the kinds of folks that you'd like to hear talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly as it pertains to our work here at the Mayo Clinic. So without uh, further delay, let's, let's get into today's program. So today we have um, Seema Lieberman, who is the president and, uh, and, and founder of Lieberman and Associates. And uh, one of the reasons that I, I contacted her be was because she had a, a, an interesting tagline that she helps develop work cultures that last. And so I, I, I was really intrigued by that. There are a couple of articles that I read on LinkedIn that I was like, wow, I need to at least learn, sit at her feet, learn from this person about how I can, as a professional, um, make sure that we're developing not only cultures that last, but inclusive and diverse cultures that last. And so uh, with that, uh, welcome Seema. Hi, good to be here. So can you tell me first a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into some, some of the, the, the tools that we need to kind of create these cultures or these environments where diversity and inclusion can be a, have a lasting impact? Okay. Well, I began, I've been doing this work over about 30 years, a little over maybe about 30, 30 years. And I started out doing, my work was in mainly diversity training, diversity facilitation and um, dialogues, cross-cultural dialogues. But then as I was in, this, in my work longer, I saw that just training alone wasn't changing organizations, that it really, that we needed to change systems and processes. And that's how I started moving into consulting. And then I saw a lot of people talking about inclusion, equity, diversity, but it was still more one-time hits of let's do this, let's do that, but not enough of what do we do that creates cultures that actually last. So that while you're here, you could be doing great things and, and creating great culture, but how do we ensure that after you leave, that you leave a legacy of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and that you create a culture where everybody can do their best work. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you, you know, you talk about work cultures that last. I remember that there was a, a, a book um, that was uh, built to last, right? Yeah. And uh, the, the, the interesting thing about some, that book was that there were some um, methodologies and some, um, some, some business models that were being hailed as uh, these really wonderful, great things, but you know, time is the time tells the truth, right? And so, right. Uh, what we also found is that in hindsight, some of those same things that were hailed as these hallmarks of you know innovation and and business savvy actually helped create the the the, the conditions that sparked kind of the economic crisis of two thousand eight. And yeah. so, uh, so so what are some of the methodologies that you suggest? help us create these sustainable cultures, these systemic things that you believe will last, um, it, it, but not create the kind of fall that that kind of built to last uh, model did. So, so what have you found that's helpful in, in getting in to organizations to create these long lasting diversity and equity 
shifts, if you will? Well, the best, I mean, it's never too early and it's never too late to start thinking about creating the right kind of culture that lasts. If you can do it early on, when because now there's so many new organizations forming, if you could do it early on when the organization is first forming and look at what kind of culture do you want in your organization? What do you want when there's four people, 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, hundreds of thousands of people? So then you can prepare for that. And for organizations now that are already established, it's you want to be able to involve as many people as possible. I mean, one thing I know that um, Nikki Leandakis does, who is now CEO of, uh, she's CEO of Equinox uh, Fitness Centers. And before she was CEO of Commune Hotels, and then before that she was CEO of Kimpton. I've interviewed her several times. And one thing that she does, which I really like, is that when she starts thinking, when she moves into a new organization, thinking about the culture, she will go on listening tours and talk to everybody in the, as many people in the organization as possible at all different levels to find out what kind of culture would they be able to do their best work in. And so if you want to be able to have an inclusive culture that lasts, you need to be able to find, talk to people, you need to get to know the people in your organization as much as possible, and you need to be able to create accountability systems where you have a vision for your culture, you involve as many people as possible, and you look at what needs to be done to be able to create that culture. Now, the methodology, what you do may be a little bit different because if you know that the goal is to create inclusive cultures that last, mm -hmm. what you do today may be different next year or in five years, but the key is, are you able to be flexible? A lot of people talk about transforming cultures, but not all cultures need to be transformed. Some of them need to be elevated. Some of them need to be adjusted. Some of them need to be expanded. But you need to be able to create an environment where people can change and systems and processes can change. Looking at where do you always want it to be. You want it to, you want it to be inclusive. You want inclusive cultures that last beyond just your tenure, because in some of the organizations are built to last or, or good to great. I had people who maybe were great leaders, but when the, the leaders left, the cultures went back to where they were before. And want to be able to have cultures that are not just dependent, that, that you recruit a CEO who wants to continue inclusion and wants to support inclusive cultures that last, you don't just recruit a CEO that comes in and totally changes the culture unless they're changing it for the better. Because people really, people in organizations, no matter how long they're at work, whether they're at work for four hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 20 hours, they want to feel that they're part of something greater than themselves. They want to feel that they're part of a community and they want to feel that they know what's going on in that organization and not that it's just subjected to whoever's going to be the next manager, whoever's going to be the next CEO. So, so what, what are you finding are some of the, the things that prevent organizations, you know, uh, from being inclusive or, or, or creating diverse environments? What do you think are some of the, the barriers? Well, there's three, well, there's, there's lots of barriers, but there's three big barriers. One is leaders in organizations looking for I guess you would say pop solutions. Okay, so we're gonna do bias training today and we're gonna spend hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars on bias training. 
but they don't really change any what's going on actually in the organization. They don't change the way people are recruited. They don't change the way people are are interviewed. They don't change. They don't make people feel more welcome. They just go through bias training. And just like a one-time training is not really going to make a difference. Uh, the other one is that you have people who are in leadership who they 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 um, actually abdicate. They give all responsibility for culture to human resources, but they don't empower human resources. So, okay, you're in charge of culture and people, oh yeah, we're in charge of culture. Oh, but we have no budget. So they don't really empower them. They don't work with them. In fact, they don't even have the people who are, who they have, they have tasked, you know, I say tasked to, to, uh, to lead the culture, but they don't even sit in the same table with the CEO. I mean, culture is really important. So as a CEO, you have to be involved in every aspect. I mean, not everything every day, but in terms of the planning and people have to see you as a leader. And then the third, and the third piece, and the South people is fear. That oftentimes you have people who are running organizations or in, in leadership of different departments, but they're really afraid. They don't really understand how diversity and inclusion is really gonna help them do their job better. It's gonna help them look much better because the organization's to be more successful. So they get really afraid of any kind of major change, any kind of internal change that they have to go through. So, yeah, so, you know, before we go too far down the, 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 the road, I, I do want to kind of backtrack just a little bit because we're, we're throwing out a lot of jargon. We're using a lot of words that um, could have actual multiple meanings, right? So when you think of or, or in the work that you're doing, what, how do you define diversity and then how do you define inclusion? Okay. The way that I define diversity is um, all the differences and some, I, I like to use Roosevelt Thomas, who was one of like the, the grandfathers of diversity, the late Roosevelt Thomas. And he Elephants and giraffes, right? That's right. Yeah. He was amazing. He was so amazing. He's such a great person too. Um, that it's all the differences and similarities that people bring to the workplace with their ensuing tensions, you know, how you bring people together and how you get people to work together and um, how you pair people's strengths up with other people's strengths. So, but diversity is all the differences and similarities that we bring to the workplace. And then when I look at inclusion, Inclusion is what you do with those what you do with those differences and similarities. How do you how do people feel when they're in the organization? And people feel like they belong. And now a lot of people are using the word belonging, but it's true that when people feel included, like they belong to an organization, they're going to be less afraid of taking risks. They're going to be more creative. They're going to feel part of the organization, and they're going to work better together. Because just having diversity alone isn't enough. That's another problem that I see in organizations, particularly in the tech sector, we have people who are so focused on numbers. Mm -hmm. They're so focused on, okay, we're gonna get like five African-Americans, five Hispanics, five, five women who are white, black, brown, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll have like five of each. But then they get the numbers and the numbers look good. I call it looks good in the company photo. Mm -hmm. So they have people who, are visibly very different. But then when they get in the organization, they don't make people feel included. They don't have people who, 
who help new employees. They don't have like a new hire ambassador. And there's a lot of things that they can do to make people feel included. I can't tell you how many conferences and meetings I've been to where I talk to specifically people of color who tell me that they were hired by an organization, but once they got into the organization, no one ever even asked them what they thought. No one even asked them for their ideas. So like one guy was telling me, he said he just, he left the organization. So I was tired of being underutilized and underestimated. Underutilized and underestimated. I gotta, I'm gonna use those. Cause I'm sure a lot of people f feel that way. Um, particularly if you're not in, being invited or engaged in conversations or, or planning or budgetary uh, plans. Yeah, yeah, or, or, they, or they put them on, they, they start steering people, they start steer, oftentimes they start steering people of color towards human resources mm -hmm. as opposed to the business side. Yeah. So you're losing a lot of talent. You're losing a lot of, you're really losing talent when you don't utilize people. So, so how do you, okay, so you, you do this diversity and this inclusion work. How do you, um, how do you work with, or what do you say, or how do you encourage, um, engage those individuals who say that the, these efforts around diversity and inclusion are actually reverse discrimination? Yeah, that's a good question. How do you wrestle with that? I actually was, uh, I was on NPR last year, was when, when they had the issue with, uh, what was it, Google, and this guy, uh, I can't remember his name, the, the engineer, I, I wrote about him, and he talked about how diversity really was, like, Google wasn't really, diversity wasn't really good, and women were more neurotic, I don't know, he just wrote this, this I guess, tome. And what, so he was one, of, and then he had, like, followers of people who, who felt the same way, mm -hmm. that, oh, it, it's, it's reverse discrimination. And how you deal with that is one, you have to be able to have conversations. I mean, I've done a lot of dialogues inside organizations where we bring people together from all different backgrounds and all, all different work functions. And people talk about differences and similarities and we help them build relationships. So then in that process, they see how diversity and inclusion actually helps the business and makes their work easier. And so if somebody, there's a couple of, there are people who really just don't know. And those are the people we need to engage in conversation because they really don't know. We need to show them how they're part of diversity. They're part of inclusion. They're part of, of equity, that everybody is part of it. So we need to be able to show them that they're part of it and that it's in their interest to be able to work with people who are different than them in different ways. And that as a result of doing that, they will end up being more creative and they're going to be able, and they're gonna help you, they're gonna actually end up helping the organization. Because if you look at an organization, say like, say this guy, James Damore, that was his name. Uh, and if Google, like who uses Google? Or the Mayo Clinic, who uses the Mayo Clinic? Everybody, right? I mean, Mayo Clinic has an amazing reputation. Mayo Clinic is not just for white people from a particular part of the world. 
No, it's not. So if you want to be able to maintain a diverse client base, customer base, patient base, employee base, whatever it is, then you have to think of how are we going to meet people's needs? How are we going to find out what they need? If we only have, say like all white guys, all white guys who went to Stanford, chances are, no matter how smart these thousands of white guys that went to Stanford are, they are not going to be able to understand fully or meet the needs of people from all these different cultural backgrounds or all these different age backgrounds or religious backgrounds. I mean, you need people from, you have to have represent, representatives from all of those backgrounds or most of those backgrounds to be able to help figure out what do people need? How can we bring more people in? And also people like to do business with people who have people in the organization who look like them. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that you only send black people out to work with black clients or white people only out to work with white clients, but when people work with each other, they use each other as resources. Mm-hmm. So send people who can build those resources is, is what you're ultimately saying. Yeah, and that, and that you need to have people, I mean, could, do you, if, like I was, when people were talking about Google, I was saying, do you think that all of these, if you have all these thousands of white guys and they all went to Stanford, are they going to be able to meet the needs of, say, the 65-year-old black woman in Ghana? I mean, you want people who understand the culture, the, you want people who really understand the client base. Yeah. Well, and. and I mean, and so to carry that even further, that would also mean you just wouldn't get any black person to try to meet that 65-year-old woman from Ghana's thing, her, 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 meet her needs, right? Because that person may be just as unaware as the, the, the guys from Stanford. So, uh, so, so what I hear you saying is that diversity and inclusion also has to be very strategic in in helping the organization reach those kind of diversity goals, the, looking at those commonalities and differences in, in, in doing that. Um, yeah. But we, you just said something very important that I, I think it, it, it's, it's a point that I make so often in my work, because I do a lot of training and facilitation and consulting, and oftentimes you have people who really don't have a lot of experience, so they think that one black person from, I don't know, from like maybe LA, is going to be able to go to Ghana, like a black man from LA who's like 25 can go to Ghana and relate to the 65 year old black woman in Ghana. But maybe not. That person may know nothing. It might, you might, might be a white person or might be who's maybe closer to age. You don't know. So just because some, somebody is a certain color or a certain background doesn't mean that they really are the best person to go do that work in that particular area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I am. So, I'm wondering. So, I know that you have some. Um, you've written some books. Can you talk a little bit about the the books that you've written? Um, and and what was the impetus for the creation of those tools? Okay. Well, I wrote three books. Um, one was uh, putting diversity to work. I co-authored it with George Simons. It was putting diversity to work, um, how, to, how to effectively lead a diverse workforce. And that's more, that's a workbook. We did that for CRISP. 
And we did that because we wanted to give people tools. And the book is really tools. There's tools that you can use to be able to put diversity to work and lead a diverse workforce. Because what we wanted is we wanted to get leaders involved. Because what was happening is that we were getting, people were getting big contracts. We were getting big contracts and people would, from, and we'd be hired by say a leader of an organization, but then they'd say, well, this is just for the employees. We don't <laughs> so look at that there are some strategies that you need. So we wanted to help people create strategies and, and, and assessments. Then the second one was diversity calling, building community one story at a time. And I wrote that with a group, I'm part of a group called the DICE group, which is um, diversity community exchange. And we're a group is 10 of us who wrote the book from all different backgrounds. Like I'm a white Jewish woman, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, and we had like somebody, um, Nadia is an, a generation Xer. She was raised Muslim and she's, her family's from Egypt. And then we had Tommy Smith, who's around my age, he's African-American, he's a Baptist minister. So we had all different people from all different kinds of backgrounds. And we wrote, uh, and we're like a community. So we wrote a book telling our stories, it's our, our, our brief biographies, but how we got into the work and also what, what impacted us in our lives that made us want to do this work and that made us want to come together as a community. And then we talked about, and then, and then in the book talk about how we came together as a community to show that you could have, because there's so much racial divide that you could have multicultural communities where people actually have real conversations and really get to know each other. And then the third book I wrote was 110 Ways to Champion Diversity and Build Inclusion. And I wrote that because people were saying, oh, we want tools, we want tools, we want tools. And I said, well, here's some things that you can do. And ultimately, you still have to look at your organization. And I was tired of people saying, well, they had to wait. Before they took any action, they had to wait. And I said, here's some things you can do that don't cost money. I said, for one thing, hello. Talk, just, if you just start saying hello to people as trite as it sounds, it makes a difference because most people in organizations just say hello to people that look like them. In fact, we were doing, I, we were doing um, all these, I've done a lot of assessments. There are a lot of cultural assessments and workplace assessments. And almost every time you were hearing all different size organizations from employees saying, well, my manager doesn't say hello. Manager walks by me and doesn't say hello. And we said, well, that doesn't cost any money. And at first I thought, come on, you know, and then I kept on hearing, I, and I started thinking about it. You're right. And I remember telling managers that they said, well, I can do that. I can do that. And then we talked to people after they said, well, things are really changing just by saying hello. How are you? Because what we did was we had people take hello inventories. So the hello inventory was if managers said, well, I say hello to everybody. And I said, okay, I want you to take an inventory of who you actually say hello to. And they were saying hello to people, only people who look like them. So their assignment was they had to say hello to people, everybody. And they had to say, how are you? And they had to shut up and wait for somebody to answer. And then they had to ask them, what do you do here? And what, what ideas do you have for us to make it easier for you to do your work. Yeah, yeah. And that just made a difference. So now I'm writing now I'm writing a book on creative and creating inclusive cultures that last. And it's gonna include everything, everything that needs to happen in order to create inclusive cultures that last. And how do you involve everybody, how do you do assessments, um, all, 
all of that, because everything, every small piece that people do in terms of diversity and inclusion are all part of the big picture of creating inclusive cultures at last, but you have to put it together. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm assuming we can look for that book on like Amazon and do you have it on your website as well? No, or? I, haven't, I haven't finished writing it. I'm still writing it. Well, I mean the, the other three. Oh, the other three, yes. The other three are on Amazon. The other okay. three are on Amazon. And okay. um, yeah, they can go directly to Amazon and buy them. All right, great, uh, great, great. Diversity to work, how to lead a diverse workforce, 110, or the other one is 110 ways to champion diversity and build inclusion. And then the third one is the diversity calling, building community one story at a time. Wonderful. So I'm, I'm wondering, so have you seen that uh, there's this picture that's going around kind of in the diversity space of, of people on boxes, looking over a fence and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, in the show notes, I'll go ahead and put a picture of that so folks who aren't familiar with that can, can, can see that. But what is your impression of that, that meme or that, uh, that, that model of diversity, equity and inclusion? What's your take on that? Let's see, the box, the three people on the box, um, refresh my mind, because I'm seeing the picture. Yeah. So many times. Yep, so there's a, uh, there's a fence, and on the other side of the fence is like a, a baseball game, and so there are three people standing on boxes. So the tallest person is standing on the box. The, a, short, a very short person is standing on the same size box. And then a mid-sized person is standing on the same box. And so the, the tallest person is able to see over the fence. Right. The, the middle-sized person can see at the fence. And the short person still can't see over the fence. And so then there's another frame where uh, the, the, uh, the shortest person has two boxes. The medium-sized person has one box. And the tall person has no box. Um, and so uh, I imagine you've seen that, right? Oh, I, I've seen it so many times. Everybody was sending it to me. Hey, did you see this? Did you see yeah, this? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so what's your impression of that? Because, I, I mean, it's a pretty popular meme. It's a pretty popular way of, of thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Just thoughts well, on that. I think, yeah, I think it's a popular meme. I think that it's a little bit simplistic. But I think it also makes the point. I mean, it makes a good point that everybody doesn't have the same access. And I think that that's really important, that we all don't have the same access. And that what we need to do, like in organizations, when I, when I work with leaders in organizations, look at how do you create environments where everybody has access? I mean, just even on small levels, I was working with a, uh, I was working with a large um, spirit, wine and spirits distribution company. and one of their issues was that not everybody in real in realistically not everybody had access to information or to even promotions that were going that 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 were being um offered and what they said was that well everybody really has access because we've got everything posted at our at our central headquarters or they could just go on look on the website and everybody could see it. But the reality was that there were most of the people working out in the field. Hmm. And 
They really didn't have the same kind of access. They weren't going to the website. And the company was complaining that they weren't, that, that there wasn't enough diversity of people who were applying for these jobs. And so we said, well, if you really want people to apply, you have to go to them. And since they're in, already in your organization, what can you do to pass that information on? Hmm. So I think that that's, that, that, that you have to be able to, how, how do we create, what do we need to do to enable everybody to have the same kind of access? Because even if you look at healthcare, that not everybody has the same access to good healthcare, right? And that there are, oftentimes there's programs for people to get healthcare. But so the programs, many programs exist, but a lot of people don't know that they're out there. So what can you do as an organization to pass the information on to people? Mm -hmm. I mean, even, I mean, you know, like most hospitals or most healthcare agencies have, they have like certain kinds of funds for people who maybe have like, say, a, a $10,000 deductible. And they go to the hospital, go to the doctor, and they get a bill, and the bill is like for $7,000 because their insurance only paid like 10 cents. And people will either not go to the doctor because they don't want to have to pay the deductible or because they don't have the money, or they get the bill, and then maybe they end up filing bankruptcy, they end up freaking out, what am I going to do? And they end up giving, like, like they, they try to pay every single month, they try to pay this bill, but if they knew that if they wrote a letter to the financial aid part of that hospital or that healthcare institution, they might be able to have most of that debt written off, it would be very different. Yeah. But most people don't know that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, 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 that's an interesting point. And um, I interviewed some other folks and, and, you know, we're kind of talking about, the capitalistic model and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we have to kind of keep that stuff in mind, um, particularly in this kind of Western society. But, but I'm really curious, you, you touched on something that I thought was kind of interesting in terms of like going to the people. So if I want to have a, a, a diverse organization, um, and I'm not just talking about racial diversity yeah. and I'm not just talking about, I mean, I'm talking about all the aspects of, of diversity, uh, gender, idea, thought. What are some ways that organizations like ours could be reaching out to people that we, we might say, you know, we need or we want because the market is driving us towards this. Um, to have these types of thinkers or these types of uh, individuals as a part of our organization? What are some, some are there some common things that we can do, no, no matter what kind of the diversity, to kind of reach out to folks to kind of build those relationships so that they see our organization as a, as a viable place to be a part of? No, we have to have an overall strategy. And you have to look at where are these people that you want to bring in. And then you have to develop relationships with people in these organizations, with leaders in these organizations. It's like, I was working for one, I was working with one of my clients was, we were doing, we, would, we were helping them develop and implement a strategy for 
building a more diverse workforce. And I said, well, what are you doing? And we talked to them about going to HBCU. So they go to HBCU, they go to like historically black colleges and universities. And they would come back and they say, well, we, we set up a table and nobody talked to us. Well, did you talk to anybody? So then we started training, we started training the people who were doing the recruiting to how to develop relationships, how to talk to people because so often, and, and who are you sending? Who are you sending? Are you sending just a bunch of white people? I mean, you can send a bunch of white people, but these white people are afraid of black people and don't know how to have conversations with them. It's not going to do any good. Do you know what I mean? You know, they're just going to stand up hoping nobody talks to them because they don't know what to say. So what we... Have, well, so what we did in one organization where well, we trained recruiters in terms of um, how to develop conversations with people and we got people and we also brought in other people involved in the hiring process who maybe looked like some of the people that they were trying to recruit and we started developing conversations so that people would be comfortable because if I'm uncomfortable with you, you're not going to feel very comfortable with me. So it's, it's like, and so, so we help people develop those relationships and do a better job of recruiting and develop and, and talking to people. Cause if you don't talk to people, they're not necessarily going to come up to you. And then once you get people, once you're interviewing people, how do you interview people? So often what happens is that people will say things like, and I'm sure you've heard this. We ask everybody the same questions. Yeah. Yeah. How do you ask those questions? Do you ask, does one person get asked a question with a smile because they look like you, they went to the same college as you, they're the same age as you, uh, you, you have something, you know, something visibly in common with them and the people that you don't know that you have something in common with, then what you end up doing, they don't get the extra cup of tea, they don't get the smile, they get, they, they spend even less time with those people. So you have to review every single thing that you're doing. And after a while, it becomes second nature. But in the beginning, you have to spend extra time doing it. And you have to be intentional. You can't just think, oh, if I go to an HBCU or I, I had one organization I was working with. It was, a, it, it was a, an energy organization. And they were wondering why they couldn't, they couldn't get any engineers of color in the United States. And I said, well, what are you doing? They said, we're going to to uh, Corvallis, Oregon, because they like the engineering. So I said, how, how many people of color are in that engineering school? Uh, I don't know, maybe a half, you know, half a person or something like that. And <laughs> I said, no, going to the white male country club, you're not gonna find any women. You know, you're not gonna find <laughs> people of color that you want. You have to go where people are and you have to develop relationships. And if you don't develop relationships, it ain't gonna happen. Right, right, right. Uh, you can come in your organization, you have to develop relationships. You can't expect, you know, oh, they didn't fit in. What do you mean they didn't fit in? They were, oh, the one black person in an all-white organization, they didn't fit in. Did anybody try to make them feel welcome? And also, why are you only having like one person? Right. You know, I, 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 did, I did a show with uh, David Casey, who's, who's the senior vice president of a, of a, of a, um, a healthcare related organization and my friend and another colleague Charmaine McClary who who um, coaches CEOs and we talked and they and they're both African American and they talked about the challenge of being the only black person in the room as they kept on going higher and higher and higher and how if you really want to make a change you can't just think oh we're just gonna hire one yeah we're not gonna listen to that person 
Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about uh, being a token. And, uh, and they said, they said, you know, that's bad. But, you know, being a token is bad and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know what, you know, personally, I don't mind being the only black person if I know I'm going to be the only black person. It's when I don't know that I'm going to be the only black person. And the expectation is that I'm not going to be the only black person. Right. So uh, I, I think that's, that's very interesting. Um, I, I do want to say I, I really appreciate the wealth of knowledge that you that you share with us today. And I hope that as uh, we continue to build this podcast, that uh, that you'll come back and, and be kind of a regular as as problems come up, as questions, as people have questions that we can pose those to you and you can help us come up with some real pragmatic and practical ways of um, engaging folks. I mean, the, the whole idea of saying hi, the, uh, it doesn't cost anything, but I do wonder how often do we just not say hello to people who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, it could be diversity, it could be that they are similar or dissimilar, or they even speak a different language. Are we able to bring ourselves as leaders to a point where we can just say hello to someone, um, no matter uh, what they look like um, and do we have the energy for that you know so um, I want to yeah. say thank you for that yeah yeah and, and I was going to say that people will say I've heard people say things well I don't say hello to anybody well that's not really even true anyway you know you don't you're not even aware of who you're saying hello to and even though it might sound like a small thing I mean we talk a lot about I talk a lot about cultural intelligence and that's having the ability to be able to to develop relationships and work effectively with people from different cultures and different backgrounds, no matter who they are, whether you know anything about them or not. And what we find, and also in a, a lot of our dialogues, when people start talking to each other, they find that, and I know I found this in my life too, that somebody may not look like you at all. You may know nothing about them, but when you start talking to them, you find connections and community that you never thought you would have. And then you find that that person who looks just like you, who you're ready to, you know, like form a relationship right away, you have nothing in common with them. Yeah. So yeah. People talked about, there was that book that was written and where he talked about, it was called like Bowling Alone or something like that. And he talked about um, that people are most comfortable with people who are like us, PLUs, people who are like us. I said, yeah, that's true. I said, but when you get to know people, you find out that somebody who may look different than you, they're the PLU. They're the person that's most like you. Like yep. You. Yep. Yep. No, I love <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Ewan's uh, work on uh, cultural change and the subsequent stuff he did on uh, the the six degrees of separation that Duncan Watts took up uh, in, in, in the nineties. And uh, actually, I think it was in two thousands. But uh, but we're so much more alike than we are different, and that our differences I like to refer to to them as our obstacle illusions. That <laughs> artificial barriers that uh, that create these illusions of difference that uh, we, we suffer from obstacle illusions yeah, so, and you don't, you don't know by looking at somebody what their interest is you don't know I mean here I'm a baby boomer you know and I probably know more about I mean I and I study, one thing I'm really interested in, I've always been very interested in hip hop. 
<laughs> I know a lot about it. I mean, I, I mean, I really know a lot about it. I'm following Takashi. I don't know if you know, you know who Takashi Six Nine is. I don't know. Well, you know, you know I, I'm following all of these things that happen, but I know a lot about a lot of different kinds of music. And you don't know just by looking at somebody that that that's going to be the person you are going to connect with. You can have so much in common with, but you won't know until you have that conversation. And what we do is we help people be comfortable with being uncomfortable and then you could get comfortable but you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and it's not that big of a deal because it's only temporary so, so are you suggesting that i should listen to uh six nine no oh, oh okay <laughs> no not no i don't think no uh -uh. <laughs> So cool, cool, cool. No, I, I, again, I, I want to say thank you for for your time. Um, I think we're gonna end this episode, uh, but this isn't the end of the conversation. It's the uh, it's the end of this time, and uh, look forward to having you back on uh, as we continue to try to develop these uh, diversity and inclusion cultures that last. Thank you so much, Seema, for for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'd love to come back. All right. All right. Well, this is Andre Cohen with another episode of Speaking of Diversity and Inclusion at the Mayo Clinic. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.